How many of you could stand a little bit of encouragement today? A little bit of encouragement? All right, I want you to open your Bibles if you have it with you and turn to Psalms 42 and verse 5. And I'm going to begin a series today called Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times. And today I want to talk about how to encourage yourself. You'd be amazed how important that is, that you and I know how to encourage ourselves because, you know, you talk to you more than anyone else on the planet. You've already talked to yourself while you're in church today. You've said, I like this, or I don't like this, or I can get into this, or I can't get into this, or you're thinking about your debts, or you're thinking about your family problems, or you're thinking about the Lord, you're thinking about good things, and you've been counseling yourself. So it matters what you say to you. And David's really going to teach us that. So Psalms 42, verse 5, I want you to read this with me because it's very brief, but it's a great question to ask yourself. Are you ready? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help, salvation of my countenance and my God. That says God is the author of the smile on your face. He's the salvation of your countenance. God can do for your countenance what Max Factor cannot. God can. All right? So let's pray. Father, we thank you today for helping us to be mighty in spirit. And to be mighty in spirit, Lord, we must know how to encourage ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray today in the name of Jesus, teach us. Let the Word of God penetrate let the Word of God build our faith. Let the Word of God stir our spirits. Let the Word of God renew our minds. I pray in the name of Jesus. Now, can you breathe a prayer with me today, a very specific prayer, and just say, Lord, teach me to encourage myself in the Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll tell your neighbor, encourage yourself in the Lord. Encourage yourself. There are times in life when there is no one to encourage you but you. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there several times where there just wasn't anybody around to encourage me, and I had to encourage myself. And we find that David, we're going to see in a moment, uh, experienced this in his own life where there was no one to encourage him but himself. I'm going to help you to see today that knowing how to encourage yourself is absolutely pivotal to winning spiritual warfare. Because there's going to be times Satan backs you into a corner and there's nobody there, not with skin on them, but you and God and the Holy Spirit within you. And you need to know how to encourage yourself in the Lord because sometimes there are pivotal moments where if you don't encourage yourself, you're not going to make it in the long stretch. We need to encourage ourselves. So we're going to see that today. Now, the psalmist here clearly is depressed and he's troubled. And you know what? Apparently so are a lot of Americans. I read a couple of stories this week. I'm only going to read you the titles or the headlines of the story because if I read you the story, it would depress you. And I didn't come to depress you. I came to encourage you. But here's the titles of the stories. First of all, here, here's one. It was entitled, Americans More Depressed Now Than Decades Ago. A second article was titled this. 
Why are Americans so unhappy? Well, I can tell you, I've got some good ideas why. With the news of all the growing terrorism in the world, with chaos internationally, fear of the future, an anemic job market, a third of the American population is out of work, and a half of Americans are on some kind of government assistance, the economy is not doing what the media tells us it is. And we've experienced the loss of the Judeo-Christian ethic, which has always been the under, underpinning of this culture. And I, I don't think Americans have realized the price you pay when you put God on the back burner or put Him out of the picture altogether. Because when you do, you assure that you're going to be confused and depressed. So because of these things, many Americans are just down. Author David Kupelian wrote a book entitled, <laughs> get this title, The Snapping of the American Mind. And in it, he says, quote, Thus it has come to pass that America, long the hope of the world, has grown increasingly dispirited and angry, which in turn breeds anxiety, fear, confusion, hopelessness, and depression. Here's the fact. It's becoming harder and harder in America to have peace of mind and feel secure. Now, as I say these things, I am also aware that this is the world talking to the world. This is the secular. These articles were, were, were pulled from secular sources. You see, the difference is when you know God, you know a God who is an encourager and not a discourager. He's the author of joy and not depression. You have given me joy. Over and over the psalmist talks about receiving the joy of the Lord and gladness from God. So I know that I'm talking to people who have uh, something that the world does not, and that is God. God is a, an encourager. He, he gives hope, and hope means you wake up and you've got a confident expectation that something good is coming your way because you know God and God holds your future. But nevertheless, the fact remains that, uh, that Christians can really experience spiritual warfare and can go through some things that if we're not careful, we will really sink into the mire of despair. Now, in the psalm that we read, King David had some very, very troubling times going on in his own life, and he experienced seasons like this several times that we read about in the Scriptures. So we find in Psalms 42 and 43 the exact same conversation that David had with himself written three times in two psalms, almost word for word. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? So David's talking to himself. He's, he's conversing with himself. And David wrote this particular psalm in a very, very trying time in his life. His own son Absalom had committed mutiny and was attempting to overthrow him and steal the kingdom away from his own father. Overnight, David's life changed. His position as king came under severe attack. Everything he knew, everything God had given him was on the line. The Bible tells us the conspiracy against him was strong. That's the way it words it. The handsome and charismatic Absalom 
had stolen the hearts of the children of Israel, where the Bible says he had stolen half of the hearts of the kingdom. David, tucked away in his castle and tucked away in his own little world, did not realize that Absalom was down at the gate and he was flattering the people and complimenting the people and asking them, what can I do for you? And if only I were king, I would do this and I would do that. And he was using his charisma and using his ability to persuade to steal away their hearts. It was very, very sinister. And there is a spirit of Absalom. And that spirit of Absalom seeks to undermine the authority that God has established. And it uses charm. And it uses persuasion. And it happens in churches all the time. That's why some of you went through a church split. There was an Absalom spirit in that church. And it undermined what was going on. A messenger ran to David one day with a chilling news flash. Quote, the hearts of the men of Israel, David, are with Absalom. And this just sent an arrow right straight through his spirit because he found out that many of his most trusted advisors and confidants had defected and sided with his rebel son. He lost good friends. He lost people he'd gone to church with, people that he had known for years and fellowship with, turned against him. Unbelievably, when you read this, you've got to stop and think what you're reading. The killer of Goliath and the hero of Israel suddenly finds himself on the run from his own flesh and blood. And the Bible says he fled to the forest for protection with a handful of still faithful men with him. And we see that Absalom didn't want to just capture him. Absalom didn't want to bring him back in chains. Absalom, his own son, wanted to kill him, wanted to destroy him. King David's future was so uncertain at this point that he uttered these words, I go, I know not where. Ever felt that way? I go, I know not where. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it, that being the kingdom, and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. David is saying, I'm casting myself upon the mercies of God. Whatever God does in the middle of this, I'm trusting him. I trust his providence. I trust his sovereignty. And I'm laying everything down at his feet. At this lowest of low points, David had lost his kingdom, his home, his friends, his son. And this is when he penned the words, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you agitated within me? Well, you know, I want to say, Well, I see why you're cast down. And I sure see why you're agitated. You see, we're dealing with a man who had an incredible relationship with God, especially in light of the fact that this was Old Testament. He hadn't even experienced Pentecost or the cross or the blood. But he knew the Lord. And here the psalmist was feeling the weight of his trials like some of you are feeling today. You're feeling the weight of your trials. Like Job of old, his troubles seemed relentless, falling like ominous dominoes. Here comes another one, and uh-oh, there comes another one, and here comes another trouble, and it seemed like a band of robbers all at once had seized on his life. Great sadness flooded his soul. Wave after wave of grief swept over him. You ever felt that way? 
I have felt that way sometimes in my life, enough to know that I don't ever want to go there again. In verse 7, he refers to the waves of affliction, and he calls them, talking to God, your waves, your breakers, your waterfalls. He felt like one wave was calling and inviting another wave to come and beat on him. But David understood something that carried him through. He understood that nothing could touch his life. I want you to hear this today. Nothing could touch his life without divine permission. And all that touched his life would be kept under a divine check and achieve divine purposes. That's why Paul said in Romans 8.28, he said, everything that happens to me, good, bad, ugly, are going to work together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. In other words, God's got this. I may be in hell, but God's got this. It may look bad, but God's got this and God's got me. And I believe it was his understanding of the sovereignty and the providence and the power of God over all the circumstances of life that kept him sane and kept him together and kept him in one piece. He told himself, God's in charge. I trust him in the storm. Now, when we realize what was taking place in David's life, None of us could blame him for feeling the way that he did. A lot of us are in trial right now, but very few are experiencing anything comparable to what the king of Israel was experiencing at this time in his life. He didn't even know if he was going to live. He didn't know if he was going to be returned to his kingdom. He didn't know but what he had lost everything forever. Now, how did he deal with it? That's what I want to know. How did he deal with this level of trial? How did he come out of this fiery oven alive and in one piece? How did he find encouragement in totally discouraging circumstances? How did he keep the victory within? I see three things that he did. How many of you would like to know what they are? You know, I, I believe when all else fails, follow directions, and everything else will fail but the directions of the Word of God. So when I'm in a trial, I go to the Word of God. I want to see how somebody like David got through this. What did he do that he came out on the other side, was reestablished as king, and lived out his calling till the day that he died? How did he get through it? Let me tell you, here's what I see, three things. First, he asked himself a question. He talked to himself. He, he, he said, oh, my soul. He talked to his soul. Hey, soul, I'm talking to you. He said, he asked himself a question. And the question was, why are you cast down? It's almost like he's surprised at himself. What are you doing cast down? He, he's asking, what are you doing in this state of mind? Have you ever asked yourself that? What are you doing in this state of mind? Why are you so down? You know God's going to come through for you. It's like he, he's saying, hey, David, you know better than this. Oh, my soul, you know better than this. What are you doing? Some of you need to ask yourself today, why are you so cast down? Now, some of you walked in the door today, and here's why you're cast down, because of the way you were talking to yourself on the way to church, because you talk to you more than anybody else talks to you, and you have talked yourself into a pit in the theater of your mind. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Some of you are great at having your own private pity party. You pull out your own violin, and you play away a mournful song. 
all the way here. Life's against me. People are against me. I can't have anything go right. Everything goes wrong. I can't believe I haven't gotten a flat on the way to church. That'd be my luck to get a flat on the way to church because life is against me. And you say with Jacob, all these things are against me. You talk yourself into a pit. You see, I can do that better than any of you, so I can preach about this. I know that Jeff can talk Jeff down or Jeff can talk Jeff up. Jeff can talk Jeff into the sense of the Spirit of God or Jeff can get himself into a position that, hey, I need somebody to help me. It matters how you talk to you. What you say to you about you. What you say to you about God in you. What you say to you about your future. It matters what you say to yourself. And see, here's David. He's saying, I better talk to myself. I better deal with this right now. And I'm going to begin by talking to myself. I'm so glad that David is truthful about his struggles in the Psalms. I love the Psalms in discouraging times because they're real. That's what I like about the Psalms. They're real about life. They don't present flawless heroes who never have a bad day. They present flawed, normal people experiencing trials just like you and me, and they find their way through them in God. That's the Psalms. They record over and over again instances of uh, David, Asaph, the sons of Korah, Moses, Solomon, even one by He-Man. Do you know that He-Man wrote a psalm? He-Man. And others. And what do you see them doing? They get a hold of themselves by getting hold of God. And they tell you how they did it. So the first lesson that I learned here is that David steadied himself in the Lord before doing anything else. Listen, in a trial, the very first person to focus on is you. I'm going to say that again. Because some of you are in a trial. And you're looking here and there and everywhere. But the very first person to focus on in a trial is you. Getting your faith right, finding your peace, fixing your focus on Jesus and getting your eyes off the wind and the waves. The first person to deal with in a trial is yourself. You know why? Because upset, panicked people keep on making mistakes. When you're freaked out and panicked and and troubled and agitated, you make bad decisions here and bad decisions there, and you make a bad situation worse. So the first thing you need to do is take care of you. And so I'm going to give you a word. It's not even a real word, but I read it. Somebody made it up, and I like it. It's not in Webster's yet, but it will be someday. As one person put it, peacefulize yourself. I like that. That is roll. Can we just say that together? One, two, three. Peacefulize. Doesn't that just peacefulize yourself? I like that word. I'm going to call Webster's next week. Before making a major decision in a trial, peacefulize yourself. That's what David's doing here. And he starts out questioning himself. Think about this. He's running for his life. His own son is trying to kill him. Half his kingdom has turned against him. Yet, what is it we see him doing? He's focused on himself, on peacefulizing, on steadying his own spirit in the storm. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you so agitated? 
Why are you allowing these circumstances to upset you like this? That's what he's saying. Now, on top of that, I see a second lesson, and it's this. When trials come, take a chill pill. Chill. And I don't mean head for the pharmacy or the nearest liquor store. That is not what I'm talking about, because I tell you, there's no answer at the bottom of that bottle. There's no answer there. And, and if you turn to drugs to peacefulize yourself, guess what? The same troubled you is going to be staring at you when you come down. See, I like permanent answers to temporary problems. And so it's, I'm going to find it in God. So I'm talking about turning to the Lord and turning to His Word. And you might start with the Psalms. That's what I do. I go to the Word of God. Listen, that's why I go to the Word of God every morning. Because I, every morning I peacefulize myself. Every morning I read the Bible until I have peace, until I feel strong, until the presence of God is around me. And then I go out the door and face a sin-infected, devil-infested world. I do it filled with the Holy Spirit because I've been with God first. But I love the Psalms. If you can see my Bible... It's so marked up in the Psalms, I can't even find the psalm I'm looking for sometimes. Now I'm going to tell you something. The Psalms are like a great, big, divine bottle of 150 heavenly antidepressants. Oh, yeah. You say, oh, I read that Bible. Come on, Jeff. I read it and nothing gets to me. I don't get anything out of it. Listen, you're not reading it long enough. Well, how long is long enough? Long enough. You need to read it long enough. You need to read it until it gets to you because the Bible says the Word of God is quick and it's powerful. And listen, it pierces into your problem. It pierces into your depression. It pierces into your sorrow. It pierces into your confusion. It pierces into your life. And if you'll read it long enough, you will find the Word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart. He sent His Word and healed them. The Word of the Lord is good. It is a powerful Word. So how long do you read? You read long enough. Now, let me give you a great big supernatural antidepressant. Here's one of my favorite ones. Are you ready? When you're in the middle of a storm, here's what David said, do. He said, be still and know that I am God. First thing you do when you're in a trial and you want to encourage yourself is get still, still, get still. Be still and know that I am God. That means be still and know that I'm God. And because I'm God, I've got it and I've got you. And I'm greater than any storm you're going through. Listen to the Amplified. Let go. Relax. Knowing that I am God. I'm just picturing. Plump, I just took a psalm pill. Let go. Let go of your problem. Let go of the storm. Let go of your difficulties. Give them to God. And relax. In our vernacular, chill, knowing that I'm God. Now, i got a Pastor Jeff version. I want you to say it with me. Here's the Pastor Jeff version. Ready? Get still. Get still. Chill. chill. 
and take a psalm pill. And that's Dr. Wickwire's Rx for you today. Let's just try that one more time. Some of you need to get it. Are you ready? Get still. Get still. Chill. Chill. And take a psalm pill. It's not as bad as it looks. The psalms peacefulize us with promises like this one. Weeping may endure for a night. Yeah, you may be weeping. It may look dark. It may be difficult. You may be in the middle of a major trial. But joy comes in the morning. Psalms 30, verse 5. And I like this one. Cast your burden onto the Lord, and He will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. What a great, great antidepressant psalm pill. But here's the way. Now, notice he says, cast your care on the Lord. Let me show you how some of you do that. You cast your care on the Lord, and then you make like a fisherman. You're reeling it back in in five minutes. Lord, I give you this problem. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Kumbaya. And five or ten minutes later, here it comes right back. And God says, I thought you gave it to me. I did. But I took it back. You know how you cast something out of the Lord? I cast this care upon you, Lord, and you cut the line. Cut it. And you leave it there. I love that. One of my favorite psalms is this one. I remember, I memorized this one. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And he brought me up also out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Now let me read the Living Bible, because that's what you're wondering. What am I quoting? I quoted the New King James. Listen to this. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. Can we read that together? He lifted me out of the pit of despair. Say it again. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. That's what God does. Out from the deep mud and set my feet on a hard, firm path and steadied me. He steadied me. He steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing of praises to our God. And you're going to be singing so loud when God delivers you out that many are going to look at you and fear and trust in the Lord because of what he did in your life. Amen. So notice, first, he questioned himself. Why are you cast down? And then he commanded himself. He said to his soul, hope thou in God. You know what that means? Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Hope thou in God. Wait on the Lord. He's going to move on your behalf. Give it time. Hope thou in God. Not in yourself, not in people, not in circumstances to change. Hope thou in God. In God. Now, if you're like me, you don't like the word wait. Some of you, when you hear the word wait, you break out in hives. Because you don't like to wait. But here's the way I've always been. I want an immediate response from God 
because I don't like waiting. Let me tell you about me. I'm a very patient man until I have to wait. Now, some of you are going to get that on the way home. My problem has so often been I'm in a hurry and God isn't. You know, I look back over my walk with the Lord. It's been a long time. Almost never has my timing been His timing. There's things I'm experiencing now. I thought that I was an experience when I'm 40. And now that I'm 45, they're finally 45 and some change. I'm seeing things now that I thought were going to happen a long time ago. But God has His timing. And so let me tell you what He'll do. God sometimes parks us on purpose. He puts our lives on hold so that we can learn to encourage ourselves while quietly hoping in Him. Because He knows that Knowing how to encourage yourself is a major tool in spiritual victory and in spiritual growth. Knowing how to wait on God. Chuck Swindoll wrote, true patience is waiting on God without worrying. I'm having to wait. I don't understand why I'm having to wait. Boy, I've been waiting a long time. My bus sure hadn't come in. My plane sure hadn't taken off. Here I wait, Lord, but you know what? I trust you, and I trust your character. I trust the integrity of your character and that you've got it, and though I don't understand, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, but I'm going to trust you with my whole heart. And when your time comes, it will come. David was so good at this. David got really good at this. When he was in another major trial, It says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And if you know the Bible history, you know that he was at a point where he was steps away from becoming king. He had no idea when this situation was happening that Saul was being killed in a battle and he was about to step into the throne of the kingdom of Israel. He had no idea. No idea. But, in, but here he was. His men are talking about stoning him. It couldn't have looked worse, but David looked within himself. He grabbed hold of the tools of his trade. He knew how to encourage himself, and he encouraged himself. And the Lord his God stood up, led those men that had been angry at him into a battle, won the battle, got all of his stuff back from the enemy, and then found out, you're king now. It literally was darkest just before the dawn. He said, Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you, Psalms 39, 7. One of my favorites here, Psalms 27, 13. I would have lost heart. I would have fainted, given up, put up the white flag unless I had believed. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, he says. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Boy, good advice. David is reminding himself that one way or another, God's going to break through and he's not going to be left alone. He says, for I will yet praise him for his help. I love that word, yet. 
It's dark now, but I will yet praise Him. I don't see any way out, but He will yet make a way out of this for me. I don't know which way to turn, but He will yet break through and speak direction into my life. There is a yet there, and I love that yet. It means I'm in trouble now, but God's not finished yet. I'm in a tough place, but God hasn't broken through yet. I'm about to see God give me a divine yet. I'm going to break through and see the other side. Amen. You know, the middle of a trial is like the middle of a book. The author hasn't finished the story yet. So give him time. So say with me, he questioned himself when doubting God. He commanded himself to hope in God. And the last thing he did, he reminded himself of the past goodness of God. If you go back just one verse, it says that David is encouraging himself by calling up the memories of his past in God. Listen to him. This is out of the Living Bible. Verse 4, take courage, my soul. Do you remember those times? But how could you ever forget them? When you led a great procession to the temple on festival days, singing with joy, praising the Lord. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, remember all those great times you had in church? Do you remember all those great times you had in God? Remember the great blessings of God He poured out on you, the victories He gave you, the healing He showed you? Do you remember those times? Remember the fellowship? Remember the joy? Remember the defining God moments that made lifelong memories? You know, I can look back and I can remember when God moved in mighty and powerful ways and totally changed my life. I remember fellowshipping with the saints, friendships that I made that have lasted a lifetime. I can look back on things that God did. You know, there's some things we should forget and never remember again. We should not recall offenses, those times we were hurt, those times we were betrayed, those times when people turned on us and stabbed us in the back and hurt us. We should not recall that. We should not rehearse that. We should not fellowship with that. But we should recall the good times and the mighty times and the powerful times we had in God. That's why the Bible says, forget not all His benefits. The message is, remind yourself of what God has done in times of trial because the same God that blessed you then and healed you then and delivered you then and broke through for you then is with you now in this room in your life don't say yesterday was better than today don't sing that song those were the days my friend I thought they never end don't sing that song because the same God that did it then can do it now if we will trust Him and look to Him. Come on, everybody. You know, Pastor Jeff, I'm so beat up by life and I just feel so down. Talk to yourself. Why are you cast down on my soul? You know better than this. I've learned to doubt my doubts when I'm doubting God. When a doubt comes and says, Jeff, God's let you down. God is not hearing your prayer. I doubt that doubt. 
I doubt anything that questions the character and the integrity of God and what my Bible tells me about God. And some of you need to doubt your doubts today. You need to look at your doubt and say, you know what, doubt? I doubt it. I doubt it. Oh, I kind of know you're you're thinking, I don't know if God's going to come through for me. Doubt that. I don't know if God's hearing my prayer. Doubt that. I don't know if God's going to do this, that, or the other. Doubt that. Because my Bible tells me God is a prayer answering God, and I need to believe what the Bible says about him. After David reminded himself of the past blessings and fellowship and goodness of God, he wrote, why then be downcast? Why be discouraged and sad? Hope in God. I will yet praise Him. Yes, I shall again praise Him for His help. Can we stand together today? Now let's one more time. Let's just repeat these because this is something you need to put in your spiritual toolkit and use. So are you ready? Say it with me. Question yourself if doubting Him. Command yourself to hope in Him. Remind yourself of all He's done. Amen. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Father, we thank You that You're the God of encouragement. And Lord, I know there's people here today that are discouraged, who have been betrayed, who have been walked out on, who have lost jobs who feel lonely, who feel like no one is there to understand them, who have lost loved ones, and we feel discouraged and we feel down. Lord, I pray that today the Word will penetrate with its light into the darkness of their soul. And Lord, help us to make these things a part of our spiritual warfare arsenal that I can encourage myself in God. Now with our heads bowed, I want to just ask you to ask yourself, if you're doubting God, if you're saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? And I want you to say, Lord, just forgive me if I've had doubt and allowed myself or talked myself into a hole. Lord, help me today to turn it. You can turn it today. You don't have to drive home talking yourself into a hole. Talk to yourself what the Bible tells you about you. You're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. You're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Blessed in the storehouse, blessed in the field, blessed in your going out, and blessed in your coming in. And God don't make no junk. You're not junk. You're not throwaway garbage. You are valuable. You are called. You've got a destiny. God has his hand on you. And now I want you to say with me, I'm going to command myself to hope in God. I'm going to count to three. And I want us to all say, soul, hope thou in God. Are you ready? One, two, three. Soul, hope thou in God. 
That's right. Now can we just lift our hands towards him to, together? And I want you to remember, think back, that time he saved you. When grace found you. When the gospel convicted you. When the Spirit filled you. <laughs> when some chains fell off of you. I want you to remember back that it was the mighty God that did it then can do it again. He's going to lead you again, guide you again, direct you again, give you hope, give you fresh vision, get you back on your feet, put a skip in your step, a gleam in your eye, a song on your tongue. It's not over for you. I was talking to a man last night on the phone, and he was so down. And I said to him, God's not done with you. It's not over for you. And I say the same thing to some of you. God's not done with you. And if he's, he might be watching right now. Danny, God's not done with you. He's not done with you. It's not over for you. It's never over till God has had his say. So can we give the Lord a hand of praise that we can encourage ourselves? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, I don't know about you, but I needed that. And, and I guess you know where we're going next week. What does that say right back there? Encouragement. But I hope that you will take this and not just say, well, that was a good word, and go out and forget about it one week later. Put it in your toolkit. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Become mighty in your spirit like David. Well, Kathy is back in another room. It's so good to see her here today. And uh, she starts treatments again Monday night. So pray for Kathy. And, um, but I was telling the first service, greatest pastor's wife in the city of Fort Worth. Easy, easy. And so I uh, just want to let you know about that. Pray for her. But, you know, we keep, our, we keep ourselves in the Word. We keep ourselves encouraged in God. I'm not preaching something I learned in seminary. This comes out of the crucible of my own experience and out of the burning Word that is in my heart. So, amen. God is good.